same game victims challenging the four invaders hidden within us. Today we'll be looking at how fruitless satisfaction fuels our conflicts. Now, we've been looking at these four invaders for a while, and we've unmasked them all, and we have shown how we can overcome the first three. And today we're looking at the fourth one, how to overcome the fourth one. But just as a way of a quick review, we have shown that the debt dynamic is what gives these four invaders their power. Every one of them, every one of the four, is fueled by the notion that somebody owes somebody something, the debt dynamic. And regardless of who owes what whom, as long as somebody is holding on to a debt, there will always be relationship tension. Guilt says, I owe you. And we showed how to overcome that with confession. And anger is fueled by the notion that you owe me. So in order to overcome that debt, we have to forgive. Forgiveness is the remedy for the debt of anger. Greed is kept alive through the assumption that I owe me. And when we look at this, it's a little bit twisted. It's a twisted way of thinking, but the remedy for, for uh, greed is generous giving. And the fourth one, jealousy, uh, is very insidious. And jealousy says... God owes me. And I think you'll agree that from the very beginning of time, jealousy has played a major role when we deal with human relationships. I mean, right from the beginning, Cain was jealous of Abel. Then we see later on Esau was jealous of Jacob. Uh, we read the story of Joseph and how his brothers were jealous of their younger brother's relationship with his father. Uh, Commodus was jealous of Maximus. And to get a little comical, Woody felt replaced when Buzz came on the scene. So, when we think of jealousy, we look at what others have that we don't. We look at what other things people have that we lack. And that could be a, a myriad of things. Looks, talent, health, money, connections, power, whatever it might be. The list goes on and on, and you can fill in your own blank there. And what happens is we start to begin having problems with the person who possesses what we lack because we think we have a problem. It's a perception problem. But the, the, the tricky thing here is, you see, is that God could have fixed all of this, right? 
whatever God gave to your neighbor, he could have chosen to give it to you as well. What he gave to your sister-in-law, he could have given to you as well. What he gave to your brother, he could have given it to you as well. You see? And the bottom line is, if God took care of you the way he took care of some other people, you would be in a much better position or a much better shape relationally, professionally, and financially. Isn't that it? Isn't that true? See, your real problem isn't with the people who have what you envy. It's with your creator. It gets a little bit scary here, really, when you think about it. You see, because in your mind, God owes you, and you are holding a grudge against him. And until you really come to grips with this, until you come to grips with this very convicting truth, jealousy will continue to ruin your life and wreak havoc in your relationships. But here's, here's some good news. The good news is, just like the other three invaders, jealousy is vulnerable. Jealousy is not invincible. And when we show in a little while how to overcome jealousy, I think you'll see that it's not something that you would anticipate or expect. But before we get there, we want to uh, take a little bit of time and really get into the problem, the problem of jealousy. And why do we want to do that? Well, I feel we have to do that because the driving force behind jealousy is really the same driving force that is behind every single relationship struggle that you will ever encounter in your life. Every one of them. Every one of them. No matter what it is, marriage problems, personnel problems, office problems, people in your office, whatever it is, it can all come down to one common issue. In fact, the relational rifts caused by guilt, anger, and greed actually can be explained by this common issue as well. If you can get, get the understanding in your mind of this one dynamic, you will be free to quit blaming everything and everybody for less than attractive behaviors that find their source in your heart. So we have, to, we have to really get into, we have to look below the surface here. Now you may say, when, as we look at this, you may say that reducing every relational conflict to one single underlying problem, you may say that we are very oversimplifying it. 
you may say that this is an extreme case of oversimplification. But if you stick with us here and just keep an open mind, you may agree when we're done. You may agree when we're done that it does come down to one single underlying problem. Now, to get to the root of this, we're going to look at the book of James in the Bible. And uh, I think um, James has some pretty good um, character and credentials. And his, his half-brother uh, was the Savior, after all. So I think we can rely on James in his writing in the Bible. And, of course, it was inspired by God. So I think we can rely on James, uh, his chapter, uh, well, his book, and we're going to look at the chapter 4 in his book of James in the Bible. But anyway, I think we can, we, we can look at him and uh, this will give you, hopefully, a point of agreement in this uh, single underlying problem uh, scenario that we're trying to uh, get across to you. So, in chapter 4, what does James ask? He asks a question. He asks a question which is this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, in our lives, through various work conditions, different workplaces, different churches, uh, your family life, your in-law family life, whatever it might be, it seems like when we're looking at all these different things that the answer to the question, what causes fights and quarrels among you, would be as varied in scope as the fights and the quarrels themselves. So you might be tempted to ask, well, which quarrel are, we, are you referring to? I mean, disagreements, arguments, uh, anything like that is caused by many different circumstances, aren't they? Well, James didn't think so. He thinks it was all caused by one, based on his question. So he begins to look at uh, the he said, she said excuses and tries to get right to the heart of the matter. The common denominator for every relational struggle you or I will ever have. The common denominator for that. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Now, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You see, James thinks that our external conflicts are the direct result of internal conflicts 
internal conflicts that have some way worked their way out to the surface. And the word desires in this verse actually means pleasures. And a little later on in the same passage, the same Greek word is translated pleasure. And you see, James believed that if we find ourselves or you find yourself in an argument, it will ultimately be because a battle within you has spilled out onto you and vice versa. You see, according to James, there are conflicting desires churning around inside of us and if you hit me too hard or you bump me too hard, what's on the inside is going to come spilling out. And guess what? It's going to come spilling out all over you. And do you not find it interesting that usually the people we hurt the most are those whom we claim to love the most? And you, you've probably asked yourself this question. Why? Why them? Why the people that, are, that we love the most, why do we always hurt them the most? And James makes it very simple. He says because they're in close proximity to you. You see, when you can no longer contain the conflict that's raging inside of you, it spills out onto those who are closest to you, even if they're just innocent bystanders. And here's a truth. It may hurt a little bit, but here's the truth. The common denominator in all my relational conflicts is me. And the common denominator in all your relationship is you. The common denominator in all your relational conflicts is you. The common denominator in all my relational conflicts is me. Pure and simple. Now, what is it that causes this internal struggle That's, that threatens our peace? That threatens the peace in every home, in every office, and in every relationship? What is that which causes this kind of internal struggle? And here it is. You want something, but you don't get it. Sounds simple, right? You want something, but you don't get it. That is, that is the source of every conflict you and I will ever experience. We can't get what we want. We can't have our way. And the, when we, the, the, the word want here, it carries, it carries the emphasis of meaning yearn for or lust for or strongly desire. So what we can't, we can't get what we lust for or strongly desire. We can't have our way. And kids, you'll hear kids arguing all the time. 
and you know you know how that goes. They're they're, they're arguing over a toy uh, or a stuffed animal, a game, whatever it might be, uh, which seat they're going to sit in. But it's the real issue is really not the toy or the game or the seat. The real issue is that the two kids, the two people, they want they each want their way and one is not getting what he or she wants. And so James puts forth this argument that the same thing is true of every adult conflict. And so what do we do? We ultimately do whatever we have to to get what we want, don't we? We do whatever we have to to get what we want. James 4.2 says, you want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. Now, kill here uh, may be a hyperbole, uh, but guess what? In the real world, in the real world, in our culture where murders are committed, they're usually committed by somebody who wants something. And you know what? Getting down to the nitty-gritty here, most murderers have some kind of personal relationship with their victim. Now, I think you've watched enough TV shows or enough movies to always know that who do the investigators always start their investigation with when they're dealing in a murder investigation? Family and so-called friends. We see it all the time. Now think about this. If you've ever been mad enough to hurt someone, it was because the person didn't give you or someone you loved their due. You weren't getting what you wanted. Now I don't care what you think. If you get honest with yourself, I think you'll find that to be true. Now, James also used another word in this scripture, covet. And in the, in the context here, the word means to hotly pursue or to strive after. So the picture is of someone who is constantly trying to meet a need that can't ever seem to be met. So what is it in the end? What is it in the end? You cannot have what you want. Now, aren't there times when you do get exactly what you want? And I guess the answer really is not not really. No. The answer is no. Not really. You see, because James is looking beneath the surface... And he's looking at the desires that are constantly swirling around in our hearts. Hungers that are never fully and finally satisfied. What did we say? We've been saying now in a number of episodes that human appetites can never be fully and finally satisfied. And the same same thing goes here. The same thing goes here. See, just like your appetite for food... 
Uh, you feel full after the meal, but three hours later, four hours later, two hours later, you headed right back to the kitchen for more. Why? Because the appetite by nature is never fully and finally satisfied. It's only temporarily filled. No matter how full you feel after a meal, you don't give up eating. You see, and James is referring to the desires that represent unquenchable thirsts, unquenchable desires. And it's those unquenchable desires for stuff, money, power, success, whatever, uh, sex, fun, intimacy, relationships, goes for all of that. And we never get enough of any of these things to fully and finally satisfy our desires. And here's a truth put forth by C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity. He said this, the more you feed an appetite, the more it escalates in intensity. You see, because how do appetites grow? Do they grow through neglect? No. Appetites grow through indulgence. Gluttons think as much just just as much about food as starving people. Think about it. People with power want more power. People that are rich, very wealthy, they want more money. Men and women who bounce from one partner to the next are never, never fully satisfied with any of them. You see, so what's the, what's the point here? What is the point? The point is that our desires and pleasures are not best dealt with by continually trying to satisfy them. Very important note here. The point is our desires and pleasures are not best dealt with by continually trying to satisfy them. So, I think you may be getting closer now to see that um, our endless fruitless attempts to satisfy our desires is exactly what fuels our conflicts. Every relational struggle that you've ever experienced can be reduced to the other person's trying to satisfy an internal desire in a manner that conflicted with the very way you were planning to satisfy your own. And then what happens? We fight. We quarrel. We have relationship problems. The issue in every quarrel is that we each want to get our way. Now, if we own that, if we own that, it will make a big difference. 
You see, because if we each own that, when everybody of involved in, in the situation owns that fact, everybody owns that, that we each want to get our way. When everybody owns that, the problem will usually dissipate. You see, it comes down to that James knew what he was talking about. You see, until I can own my share of the problem, I'll always have a tendency to blame the other person. You see, that's why we entitled this series Blame Game Victims, because we're always trying to play the blame game. Until I can own my share of the problem, I will always try and want to blame someone else. And what do we know? I mean, if you know anything about these quarrels that you've had over your lives, over during your lifetime, uh, I think you'll, 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 you'll say that blaming never resolved anything. Never. What is blaming? Blaming just feeds the problem. Never resolves it. But until I can get to grips, come to grips with the fact and stop and think and own the fact that my real problem is that I'm not getting what I want, I don't have any recourse but to blame. This is a very tricky, this jealousy thing is very tricky. We saw that in greed. Greed was very, uh, camouflaged itself, right? Well, jealousy is very insidious and it is very tricky dealing with jealousy. Now, what if you if I ask you what is blame? What is blame? Would you even know what blame is? How would you define blame? So here's the truth of the matter. Blame is actually an admission that I can't be happy without your cooperation. Wow. Wow. To blame is to acknowledge dependence. I'll say it again. Wow. Blame is an admission that I can't be happy unless you let me be happy. Unless I have your cooperation, I can't be happy. You see, I am now acknowledging dependence. If you don't act a certain way, I can't be satisfied or content. And if you, if you really get truthful with this, you can never be happy until you are able to control the actions and reactions of everybody you come into contact with. And that would include everybody in your lane and on the lane to the right and on the lane to the left on the highway. And the reality is, if that's truly the case, guess what? There is no hope. There is no hope. So, are you willing to fully embrace this truth, this truth that James clearly spells out for us? If you, if you are not ready to fully embrace this, 
you will have no choice but to try and squeeze your happiness and contentment out of the people around us. It's only until we are willing to fully embrace this truth that James clearly spelled out for us. It's only until that point can we overcome this. Otherwise, again, we will try and squeeze our happiness and contentment out of the people around us. And what, what compounds the problem is they're doing the same thing. They're trying to squeeze theirs out of us. You see? So how could this thing work? How could this thing work? What happens eventually? What happens? Everybody suffocates. And then we all walk away, each convinced that the problem is somebody else. We never take ownership. We walk away in search of someone else who can fill us up. Fully and finally. And in this time, we never really stop and get truthful with ourselves and stop long enough to figure it out, figure out what it is that we really actually want. So, what is the answer? What is the answer here? What do we do with the desires and appetites that can never be fully and finally satisfied? What do we do with those? What does James say about it? James says you take it to the you take them to the one who created them in the first place. Wow. What a what a uh, what a thought. Why didn't I think of that? Hmm. Why didn't you think of that? What does James say? He writes that you do not have because you do not ask God. You don't get what you want because you're not because you're asking the wrong person. Instead of instead of laying it on other people we love, instead of laying the burden on their shoulders um, with desire, lay that burden of desires that 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 they were not designed to fulfill in the first place. But we lay that burden on them, the people we love. Instead, we should be, as per James, bringing them to our Heavenly Father. And I think if we ask God about this, I think he would say that this whole thing could have been avoided if you had come to me first, instead of trying to squeeze whatever it is you think you need out of the people around you. I think, I think you might, you you could agree on that. I think you could agree that God would say that, or something similar to that. Because here's something to think about as well. Who, I mean, who created the appetites? Who created those appetites of yours that are never fully and finally sat filled? Was it your sister, your spouse, your brother, your boss, your neighbor, your mother, your father, your son, your daughter, your neighbor, as I said? 
Did they create these appetites? No. So if they didn't create them, how can they possibly, as humans, be capable of satisfying those appetites? Do like James said. Take them to God. Now, you may be one of the many that may say, oh, I'm way ahead of you. I did that already. And if that is the case, if you're one of those, then I have to ask the question, what do you mean by you did that already? And usually, if people are asked about that, I'm willing to bet that the answer would be that I did that already usually means you prayed about it. And what does you prayed about it mean? Usually that means that you prayed to God that that he would change the heart of whoever it is that's not giving you what you think you deserve. So in other words, you're still in that blame game situation. And you see, that's not at all what James is talking about. What he's suggesting is something that's so more superior or powerful than asking God to change someone else that you, so that you can get your way. See, this is a relationship deal. James is instructing us to bring our deepest desires and, and, and unmet needs to our loving Heavenly Father. He is giving us permission to pour out our hearts in an unfiltered conversation with our Creator. And what does Peter say in 1 Peter 5, 7? He echoes the same, the same sentiment here. He says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And in, in the Greek, the term translated all means just that, all, as in every. That means that you as a Christian, that you as a Christian have been invited by God to bring every frustration and fear to him. There is nothing too big, nothing too small. You can bring them all to him. You see, so God wants you to, he wants to take care of you. He wants to entertain your your deepest thoughts and desires. He wants to entertain that. He wants to enter into that conversation with you. You see, because if these things are important to you, then they're important to God. Why? Why? Because you are important to God. You see, every, every concern that you have, big or small, matters to God. Matters to God our Father because you matter to him. It's just like your own kids. It's just like your own kids. Don't you want them to come to you? And why is that? Because you want them to be happy. You want their desires to be met. You want them to come to you with their what concerns them because they concern you. So whatever it is, bring it to God. Whatever it is, bring it to God. And keep the conversation going. 
Just keep thanking God until you find peace. Bring it to God, cast your care, and, and keep doing that until you find the peace. Find the peace and uh, the confidence that God cares for you. You'll have confidence in that knowledge that He cares for you. And that is the answer to prayer. I mean, that is the answer to prayer. When you can, you can know that God trusts, that you trust God, and knowing that He cares for you. And once you can do that, you you have peace from that prayer. And that is whether He gives that to you or not. Whether the request is granted or not, you still have the peace. And that's really the answer to prayer. You see, once you have confessed to him that your root problem is that you're not getting your way, once you've, once you've really and completely dumped all that, dumped your desires and anxiety on him, you'll find that it's much easier now to deal with the people in your life. And it won't matter whether they give you the recognition, love, credit, or whatever it is that you deserve. You'll find peace. Why? Because you're no longer looking to these people to meet a need that only God can meet. James instructs us... Okay, so let me... I'm sorry. Let me go to the verse from uh, James 4.3. When you ask... You do not receive because you ask not. Because I'm sorry, back it up. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James is instructing us to bring all of our desires to God, but then tells us that God may say no. Now, how does that strike you? Do you find that to be a disappointment? Does, 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 do, do you find that truth to be a real disappointment? I'm, I'm sure there's a few things in your life that you've asked God for that in looking back on, you may be glad that he didn't give them to you. And that is usually because your desires, what you wanted, would have ruined you. You see, here's the basic truth. God loves you too much to give you everything you ask for. He loves the people around you too much to give you everything you ask for. But, and this is a big but, he still wants you to ask. He still wants you to bring it all to Him. That is so important. And again, it's just like your own kids. Don't you want them to ask and bring everything to you? But do you always give them everything they ask for? Of course not. Of course not. And the reason is is because you love your kids too much to give them everything they ask for, knowing that certain things will hurt them. And see, it's no different with God. So, 
you might ask yourself, well, if there's no guarantee, what's the point? What's the point in this thing? Well, it's again, God wants you to know him as the source of all good things. And when he says no, he wants you to trust him. Now, I'm wondering if it would be easier if God just came out and actually said no. What do you think? Do you think that uh, in a case where he wasn't going to give you what, you what you asked for, do you think it would be easier if he just came out and said, no, no, I'm not giving you that? When instead, what usually is the case, is that things just don't change. You see, what you pray for, the desire, whatever it is, nothing changes. And you see again, what did I say a few minutes ago? The fact that when you pray and trust God and cast all your cares on Him, you have the peace in knowing through that trust and knowledge that He is a loving Father and that He has your best interests at hand all the time. When you do that and you cast your burden and care and desires on Him, that's the answer to prayer, knowing that now you have peace about the situation and that you know for a fact that God will give you what you need, when you need it, and if you need it. And if it's the case where what you ask for is going to hurt you and you don't receive it, you should still be able now to have peace about it because you trust God enough to know that the answer was no because it's not good for you. You see, it's so simple when we actually think about it. But we are selfish, and we are dealing with jealousy here, right? So it's a a very tricky situation. See, God's not going to finance our self-destructive search for meaning outside of him. He's the source of all good things, not all wished-for things. But again, he still wants us to ask, to lean, to depend, and to cry out to. He wants us to learn to take no for an answer instead of taking matters into our own hands. And that may not always seem the easiest way to go, but it is always the best way to go. And James in 117 had another thing to say on this subject. He said that every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good thing that comes our way comes from our heavenly Father. And isn't that even more reason to take our unmet needs and our heartfelt desires and even our embarrassing or even selfish wants and wishes to him? You see, at the end of the day, you can't always get what you want. Nobody can. It's not even possible. Our appetites can never be fully and finally satisfied. I think we've put that one to sleep now. But the question is, are you going to continue anyway? to try and fulfill your desire by wringing it out of the people around you. And think about that wringing, wringing clothes, wringing the water out of that 
wringing the water out of that towel, wringing the water out of that wet towel. Think about what you're doing, how you're wringing that. And that's the same thing when you try to get this out. When you try to fulfill your desires by wringing out the wringing it out of the people around you. That's the kind of pressure you're putting on them. Or will you take it to and leave it with your Father in Heaven? These are the only options we have. One leads to endless frustration. The other one leads to peace. So which one do you want? Would you rather have the peace or the endless frustration? It's your choice. It's your choice. So let me leave you with this again. I just uh, We said this a few minutes ago, but I, I think it's great to end with this note. God wants us to go to him for everything, even though... He loves us too much to give us everything we ask for. He still wants us to ask. God wants us to know him as the source of all good things. And when he says no, he wants us to trust him. And when we trust him, we have peace. Tony Mangone, signing off. Have a great day, a great week, and we'll catch you next time.